Blog Talk Radio. Somebody in New York was uh, trying to prove how bad the police were, 
and he he uh, this was back in the late 1960s, and he released a poll, and he said. So um, the poll shows uh, he didn't he didn't actually release the numbers. He said the poll shows that the second biggest concern about people in New York about the police is police brutality. Second largest concern is police brutality. And people were supposed to say, wow, that's really terrible. I mean, all that police brutality. But people noticed the fact that he's always said the second biggest concern. So somebody finally asked a reporter. Well, what was the biggest concern? Lack of police protection. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, yes, right. Just yeah, complete, that's a good I one. mean, yeah. Oh, yes. Well, look, look, these half stories are the bane of journalism. They really are. Uh, where you you right. get a few of the facts, but not all the facts. You're seeing it uh, with the uh, the news this week. Uh, when I was in, in college, we read a booklet from the. Uh, one of the labor unions called How to Lie Scientifically. It was basically an expose of, how to, an expose of lying. And they said there right. are two ways to lie in this world, by commission or omission. You can either tell a lie or you can simply leave out information. And obviously in the press today, we have a great deal of lying by omission. They simply leave out facts that are inconvenient. And, so, and they tell mm-hmm. the rest of the story. So uh, right. you know, we, should, we shouldn't be shocked. No, not at all. But I wanted to begin with uh, a small story, but I think it has a lot of people talking in the country, and that's the U.S. women's soccer team. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, everybody knows that I'm not a a big soccer fan. Uh, I didn't grow up playing soccer. I didn't really follow it. My sons, when they were little, they did play soccer. A lot of kids, a lot of kids do, but I, I wouldn't. You know, I don't normally get up at 2 o'clock in the morning to watch a soccer game uh, from New Zealand you know, or something like that. It's not, not something that I do. But when the U.S. team is playing, then I do take a little bit more interest. I remember a few years ago when the World Cup was in, uh, I think it was Japan or Korea, that the U.S. team played at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I did get up to watch the game because I, I wanted to watch it, be a part of it. And now we have a women's team uh, playing in the World Cup in Australia or New Zealand. And this is a very interesting uh, women's team because they're, they're supposed to win it all. I mean, they're supposed to be the champions. And they're, they almost got eliminated the other night from the, the championship round. And uh, they're, <clears throat> Bill, this is not a very friendly team. I guess that's my point. This is not yeah. a team that, I mean, when they're, when they're playing the national anthem, they have this frown on their faces, like, my God, what a terrible thing to hear, the national anthem of your country. They show no respect, not all of them, but most of them, to the national anthem. And, you know, I'm sitting there saying, what are these people thinking? I mean, do they actually think that this is the way they're going to win the hearts and minds of, of people, or this is the way they're going to promote soccer back home, Bill? I, I guess that is what they're thinking. And I, I do believe that uh, that that kind of behavior should be included in the decision as to whether to finance them. I mean, they, they are representing the United States. They wear the, that uniform. And as you say, they act very badly. Well, where I come from, if you act badly, there are consequences. And there should be consequences. The team should not be, if they win, should not be invited to the White House. Uh, they, they should be largely ignored. And the people, I do not know who controls the U.S. soccer team or even how they're selected, but I think that uh, that personal behavior should be one of the factors that, that goes into the selection. And a, a refusal to show respect for the very country that you're supposedly representing should result in, in punishment or elimination. Oh, I agree. I, I agree completely. And, the, you know, they can feel politically any way they want to feel. But when you put on the uniform, I think you need to put the politics to the side. And if you don't like the country or you don't, you don't feel like representing the country is something that you should do, then you should make that decision before you get selected. You know, you That's should right. go to the U.S. I guess there's like a soccer group that, that runs this. It's for the men and women. Uh, but, I mean, if, if it's that bad, you feel that bad about having to – represent this terrible country that uh, they, they, they think it is, 
then maybe that's a decision they should have made before, saying, hey, thanks for the invitation, but I, I just cannot do this. I, I don't feel that the United States is a country that I can represent. But once you're selected and you go to these events, I think a little courtesy and respect to, to the country is warranted, Bill. I mean, the irony, I think, for so much of this is a lot of these soccer girls or players come from suburban communities in the country. There are yes. not that many uh, minority soccer players, and you look at these teams, and most of them are, are basically white, uh, young women from suburbs, and where I would think they, they, they are, you know, raised in a more con- conservative home, I would think, based on the demographics and how people vote. So you would think that, the, that they're taught better manners about their country, Bill. Absolutely. Well, you know, the hypocrisy here and the outrage here is that they accept the financing that allows them to play soccer for the United States. I mean, it's it's not an easy thing to to be selected for. And as you said, they should show some respect if they want to just stand there uh, and with a blank look on their face. Well, that also, I think, uh, is, is outrageous, but it's not as outrageous as sneering and smirking. Uh, I don't know what their problem is. I really don't. But, but a piece, some people will say, well, their political view shouldn't count. As a general rule, that's true. As a general rule, we don't ask them if they're Democrats or Republicans. But showing disrespect for the very country that, whose financing is allowing you to go there it should be out of bounds. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I feel like they're, they're completely out of bounds, out of bounds in, in their behavior. And, uh, I mean, look, I like to see them win because I always like to see the American team do well. Team that, that as I say, I'm not getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning to watch this team. Uh, no. Because it's just not something that, that excites me. Uh, and it, it isn't just soccer. I mean, because as I mentioned a minute ago, uh, almost 30 years ago when the the American team was playing in South South Korea or Japan, and you had these very games at weird times. I remember getting up and watching it. So, I mean, I, I had the interest to do it, but I really don't sit down. Now, there's one more thing I'll say about the soccer team. A lot of the problems here is the young woman who's the captain of the team, Megan yes, Rapp, yeah. Oh, who awful, has decided to awful. awful person who – Again, she's entitled to her political beliefs, but keep it to yourself, Megan. Nobody really cares what you think. That's the other point, too, Bill. I'll say one last thing. Does anybody really care what what athletes think about politics? Because I don't. I really don't. No, not really. Not really. Uh, They... um... This is the, this started really with uh, this uh, fellow Kaepernick uh, who took a knee. Mm-hmm. Remember at the, the football yes. games. Uh, I think he's trying to get back into football right now. I don't think he's being too successful at it. But uh, that that is that that's where this started. And no, nobody cares about their political views. I mean, and nobody asked them. They expressed them. <laughs> And uh, then they they try to build a political movement around it. And I think that the athletic organizations have been much too meek in dealing with this situation. You know, they don't want to be called racist. They don't want to be called this. They don't want to be called that. Well, you know, uh, if the rule says you don't make political statements on the field on our time, you don't make political statements on the field. If you can't accept those rules, don't participate. But once you've agreed to them, you got to follow. You, 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 you know, you, they've got to be followed. That's right. Well, one thing I uh, I did like a few years ago, when the Copernic, uh was popular and that everybody was talking about him, Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, made it very clear. He said, "If you play on my team, you're not going to take a knee during the national anthem." Right. And well, uh, and, that's- and and that works, Bill. Because he does yeah, sign the sure does. Yeah, and, 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 and it should work. I mean, uh, look, we, we are living in an era when, when athletes make millions of dollars for, to go out and play a game. And you'd think they'd be a little appreciative of their status. Uh, when we were growing up, or at least when I was growing up, I mean, a baseball player made a minimal salary and World Series money was $8,000. And if they had, gave you a day 
at Ebbets Field or at Yankee Stadium, if it gave a player a day after many years of service, they awarded him with a Pontiac automobile, not a Mercedes, but a Pontiac. These these people today wouldn't even ride in a, in a, a Pontiac. Uh, they they have become powerful and rich beyond measure, and I think we can demand a little respect. But you know who really controls this is the fans. If the fans turn it off, the pro- the practice will end. Because uh, their bread and butter is the sport. No, that's right. And and in some cases, the fans have tuned out. Uh, I mean, in some cases, I know for a while there, the NFL uh, was having problems uh, with television uh, and then NBA as well. So the the fans have tuned out. But, man, I, I just, you know, I think they need to keep politics to themselves. Well, speaking about politics, Bill, how many, let's make a prediction, Bill. How many indictments do you think of Donald Trump there will be in the next year? I'm going to say 26. Oh, I would, I would probably say um, I would might not go that high uh, because I think the only big one left is the one in Georgia where they're right, openly right, right. bragging. They're, the, the, the legal people there are openly bragging. They can't wait for this to get started in Georgia. I mean, the the farce they they've turned of this uh, uh and i imagine he will have you know a small number of additional uh, indictments from the the georgia quote investigation which is a sure thing down there but you know what is really shocking about all of this if you realize that whether you like trump or not is not the issue if you realize that all of these indictments and and uh, uh charges against him have all come to fruition within a brief period right before a presidential election year. Mm-hmm. What do you think the statistical chances of that are? I mean, all of them have come to it, it is, again, I, I will make no judgment about his innocence or guilt. Uh, obviously, if he's guilty of a crime, he has to pay the price. But you look at that list of charges and realize all of them have come to fruition right during this mm-hmm. period. And you have to say to yourself, are you kidding me? Do you think this is really a coincidence? It it looks like the appearances are terrible. You won't hear that on CNN, but the appearances are terrible. It looks like a political hit job and a very dangerous one. You know, when you can can take out a presidential candidate uh, based on legal procedures procedures like this uh, and and that so-called coincidence, the country is in trouble. This is a very dangerous thing. That's right, and and I was listening. Whenever these issues come up, I try to go to a couple of people, well, three people, who I trust uh, their judgment. I think they give it to you straight. One of them is Jonathan Turley, Professor Turley. The other one is uh, uh, McCarthy. I think it's uh, Andrew McCarthy, right? Andrew McCarthy. Andy Andy, Andy McCarthy. McCarthy. Who's a prosecutor, was a prosecutor not too far from me there in New York. Yes, and the other one is Professor Dershowitz. Yeah, Professor Dershowitz. Those three people, uh, at least two of them, uh, will tell you they're Democrats. uh, And McCarthy maybe is a Republican. I don't know. I'm guessing he is, but he doesn't go out of his way. But these three people who are about as well informed and give it to you straight, they think that this particular indictment, the one out out of January 6th, is extremely weak. Uh, Andy McCarthy yesterday was saying that he had never seen more demagoguery in the presentation by a special counsel than this one. He says he's accusing President Trump of inciting a riot, but that's nowhere on the indictment. So you kind of get the feeling that, uh, you know, the average man is looking at this and saying, well, what's going on here? I mean, why are they going after Trump? You know, what's, what's the issue here? And I don't know, Bill, I'm going to make a prediction. I think it's going to blow up in their faces. I really do. I think Not in the sense that Trump won't be found guilty, but I think politically I don't think it's going to work the way they're planning it, Bill. Well, that may be true. You know, I think that there is a sense where people uh, look at it and they say it's too suspicious. It's too suspicious. And they look at the, some of the charges, especially the ones released yesterday, and they look very, very flimsy. They look like they, they went out of their way to twist the law, twist the definitions of words to get more indictments. 
and, and Americans do have a sense of fairness. They really don't like this kind of thing. They really don't. Yeah, I don't think they do either, and, and that's why I'm saying I think politically it's going to backfire. I would also argue, Bill, that if you're going to get a, a, a special counsel on television, uh, wouldn't it be better to find somebody more telegenic than Jack Smith? Jack Smith? When I mean, yes. Jack Smith is not exactly the, you know, I don't know. There's just something about him. He, he was not made for television, Bill. No, I, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, he also has a rather controversial record of being reversed uh, by courts uh, by courts after he's gotten a conviction, and that is not a great recommendation. I also would point out that the judge who was handling the case uh, that was uh, that was released to the public yesterday has a long history. She's an Obama appointee. Of, of of giving out very very harsh sentences to people she politically disagrees with, I think she may be the real nightmare here. If the trial uh, occurs before the election and Trump is convicted, I mean I, I I mean she she might put him right in jail, and that 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 could that could destroy a presidential election, and I wouldn't put it past her. But it's a, the whole thing, the whole thing just really really does have a very bad uh, uh, aura about it. All these separate cases by separate prosecutors all coming together at the same time. You, you, you really have to believe that politics is the motivation. And we've never done that before in American history. The presidential election is a constitutionally mandated event. It is required by the Constitution. Investigating a president by a Justice Department controlled by his opponent is not constitutionally mandated, to put it mildly. It looks bad. The, the look is terrible. But for some reason, the news organizations, the, the mainstreamers, don't seem to have a problem with it. And I think that itself is, is troublesome. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of, you know, my, my sense is that they're, they're, gonna, they're doing a little bit of overkill. What they should yes. have done is maybe is select one case, okay, out of the three, you know, January 6th, the documents, uh, and whatever happened in Georgia, uh, and say one of these three and worry and, and do that one, not, not all three. Because people get confused after a while. It's like, you know, what is the, you know what, what are we talking about, the indictment from Georgia? I mean, people get confused after yes. a while. But I think they should have picked one. And the one that I always thought, was the strongest against President Trump was the one about the documents. That's the one that I always thought was the strongest because uh, you could argue that he wasn't supposed to have these documents. But the one about January the 6th and the one about Georgia, there's a lot of opinion there. There's a lot of free speech issues there. Uh, you know, Marco oh, Rubio yes, ran a, But Marco Rubio, Senator Marco Rubio ran this video today on his website bringing back all the things that were said about previous elections yes. uh, by Democrats, and he asked the question, when are these people going to get indicted? Because, I mean, they, a lot of people were questioning the 2016 election. I remember watching it on television, Democrats questioning the Electoral College here and there, and, and, and then you had these uh, movie stars who ran these videos calling on, on the, the electors to change their votes from, Hillary, from, from Donald Trump That's to right. somebody else. Because, so, That's I mean, right. You know, that that happened. That happened. And then you had, of course, that famous letter that was signed by 50 people. All of these things are yes, part of the right. record. And, and I think it was one of the lawyers who was saying on television yesterday, be careful what you wish for, because Donald Trump is not going to be able to subpoena some of these people and say, okay, why did you, you know, want to redo the, the Electoral College here and there? So it's like, I don't know. I just get the feeling they're trying to do too much. They hate Trump too much. And the net consequence is that it may all explode in their faces. I, if I were them, I would have picked one case and worry about that, Bill. Uh, absolutely. Well, you know, the appearances count. Appearances count. It's not just justice you want, but you want the appearance of justice. And as you say, I mean, it is very troubling. Now, we'll have to see what happens in the public opinion polls. We'll also have to see if these cases go forward to trial 
before the election, which would be an outrage because because the president uh, or rather the presidential candidate, if it is Trump, would have to take time off the campaign trail to attend his own trial scheduled by somebody uh, from a department uh, uh, that is hostile to him. Uh, Again, we have never done this before in American history. We've always kind of had a, a live and let live attitude toward former presidents. I am sure he's not the only one to have misbehaved, and he has misbehaved. Trump, in many respects, is a bad boy. But we have never brought a former president to court in the entire history of the United States. And I think that's a very good precedent to keep, uh, a precedent to keep, unless the charge is one of such gravity that you can't avoid it. If he had been engaged in treasonable activities or selling secrets to an enemy nation, that's something else. But a lot of these things do seem to be awfully vague. That's right. Very petty, I I think, is is, uh, the way they are. They seem to be more, you know, we're going to get back at him because we don't like him. And and I, I think that kind of stuff is going to backfire. Let's take a little break, Bill, and we'll be right back. Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, chatting with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Bill, there was a very funny cartoon over at Babylon B. I think it was a Babylon B that said that Trump had scored a had scored a hat trick. You know, in hockey, when you get three goals in one game, they yes. uh, they they call it a hat trick. Well, he's got three indictments now, so he's he's done the hat trick of 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 indictments. But of course, the other side of the of the aisle has its problems too, and that's the Biden family. And this week we learned about how, uh, I guess, the vice president uh, spoke by speakerphone to a business meeting that his son was participating in. In fact, uh, the allegation is that he did it 20 times, uh, <laughs> which is which is sort They're of a funny way of. Yeah, yeah I mean, I. Bill, have you ever called somebody 20 times to talk about the weather? No. I, I have not. I have no, not. I, I, really, I really – you know, what is amazing here, again, is the corruption in the reporting. Uh, you, you, you see these things reported uh, by the, by the, the board press, and the, the, the Dem- some of the Democratic uh, members of Congress made fools of themselves by saying, well, so he got on the phone, and they were talking about the weather. They weren't talking about business. Well, of course they weren't take, talking about business. Nobody talks about business on a phone line that could be tapped. Of the, 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 the reality here is the fact, the very fact that Joe Biden got on the phone is the message. That's the message. Uh, uh, the vice president of the United States is involved in this. Uh, and you better and you better play along. That's the message. He doesn't have to say anything. Uh, and the, the the way they avoided that issue is just outrageous. It really is outrageous. Uh, but that that's that's the world we live in. You you have a a, a press and uh, that is heavily democratic. Uh, there were people who actually wrote columns about this, saying there's nothing there. There's everything there. No, no honest political figure would have gotten on the phone if his son is conducting business uh, 20 times. Uh, he, he just wouldn't. He, he would say to his son, look, you know, I'm a U.S. senator and I can't I just can't do this. And he would say to his son, maybe you shouldn't do it either. But there's absolutely no uh, conception here on the part of much of the press that this was a very, very bad thing to do. Right. Well, the image is tremendous, but it also, I think, speaks volumes about Hunter Biden in the sense that he probably didn't have the credibility to convince 
these uh, business people that he was a serious person or a serious businessman. And the only way he could do it was to put his father on the phone. So, I mean, that speaks volumes, I think, about the lack of of character, not not, not so much the lack of character or that too, but the lack of of, uh, whatever the word is where, where people don't think that you're really who you are. And you know, yes. he's sitting there talking to, to these business people, and they say, you know, I'm, my father is the vice president. And they go, really? Well, prove it. And yes. there he goes. Yes. He, he calls in. Yes. You know, he calls and he's in. the big guy. He does, he's the big guy. And he's the big guy. And he does this 20 times. So yes. to me, it shows you everything about Hunter Biden, how little I think he thinks of his father. I would never do that to my father. No, I mean, obviously, no. my father was not vice president, but my father had an important job at the bank before he retired. I wouldn't bring him into a conversation that I was having with other business people. I mean, I would say, you know, my father doesn't have time to do stuff like that. You know, my father is busy. You know, he's got an yes. important job. I'm not going to bring him into this. But somehow, it, you know, Joe Biden got in 20 times, apparently, in these phone calls. And I can just imagine how these phone calls, these phone calls go. You know, it's like, well, gee, this is uh, Vice President Biden. How are you all the guys doing? Oh, doing yes. great, Mr. Vice President. How's the weather? Well, you know, the weather yeah. in Washington D.C. is humid this time of the year. I mean, they want us to believe that, Bill. Well, you, well, yes, that's it. And I, and I'm sure if you if you set the scene in your own mind, that if uh, Hunter was going to put Joe on the phone. He certainly alerted Joe beforehand that he was going to do that. He didn't just say, oh, I wonder if my father is in, you know. He alerted him. He stood by at the phone, knowing certainly that this is a business involvement of Hunter and that that business involved foreign countries, some of which may not have been friendly to the United States. And he got on the phone. And as I said before, the very fact that he gets on the phone is the message that is being sent that I have the vice president of the United States, he's my father, and you better uh, take care of business wherever you are. Uh, it's an outrage, an absolute outrage. You, if you are an honest political figure, you don't go anywhere near those situations. You do, maybe one time you do it because you're set up. Okay, uh, That's right. So it's possible has, the first time... And that has happened. That, and that has happened, that's right. So maybe the first time... Uh, Hunter told his father, look, Dad, can you call me at 7.30 today? And his dad said, okay, sure, I'll give you a call at 7.30. And then when Dad calls, uh, he puts him on the speakerphone and said, hey, Dad, I'm here with some business people, and, uh, and you know, we just want to say hello to you. That could happen. I give him the benefit of the doubt one time. But when it happens many more than one time, what that says to me is that Vice President Biden doesn't have a lot of self-control either. Because, you, you know, the business that was being conducted by Hunter Biden with those business people had nothing to do with the United States bill, had nothing to do with, with uh, the United States government. He wasn't, you know, buying, um, uh, you know, machine guns for the U.S. Army. He was right. doing his own business. And what would the vice president of the United States have to do with any of this? Nothing. Nothing, Bill. He had no place whatsoever Absolutely. injected in this kind of a conversation. So that's, you know, I hate, I hate to be cynical, but I am cynical, I guess, because, you know, it, it leaves you no other choice but to think about, to think about being cynical, Bill. Well, yes, and, and what is amazing about it also is the blatancy of it. Uh, I mean, that they, re, uh, the, the fact that that it was done twenty times. Look, presidents talk to people they sh- probably shouldn't be talking to, especially people in industry who have business with the government, defense contractors. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. And if they have to, for a variety of reasons, whether it be uh, uh, during the political campaign or whatever, it's made clear that it is just a a visit. I mean, uh, have presidents done things unethical, uh, unethically in the past, or vice presidents? Probably. You know, back in 1952, there was the very famous case of Richard Nixon uh, having been discovered having what was known as a slush fund, as monies given to him by industrialists in the state of California. He was a U.S. senator from California uh, for his own use, uh, and uh, and that is clearly a, a violation of ethical rules. 
And in order to deal with the issue, he went on television and gave what became known as the checker speech uh, and, and, you know, defended himself and said, well, you know, after all, I, you know, I didn't do, do anything wrong. Nothing was exchanged. Uh, I, I'm a, I'm a, I have a good family. And it was called the checker speech because it turned out that someone somewhere had sent his children a, a dog, a pet, and they named it Checkers. And Nixon said, no matter what they say about me, I will never give back that dog. My children love that dog, and I will never do anything to hurt my children. And, of course, it was this real song and dance, but he, people of the United States, that he was basically a decent guy, and he remained on the Republican ticket under Dwight Eisenhower and was elected vice president. But, sure, people talk to people they probably shouldn't talk to. But the, as you pointed out, the number of times here is itself devastating. And, and apparently there is more to come, more information about uh, involvement in, involving China. There is a charge that is out there. I don't know if it's true or not, that they took, uh, the, the Bidens took a uh, $5 million bribe from China. If that can be proved, that's the ballgame, if it can be proved. But some of these things can't be proved. I mean, even now, we made the point before that 20, this 20-time 20 uh, uh, repetition of influence peddling, the Democrats are saying nothing there, absolutely nothing there, and they know that they'll have the press behind them and that they'll move on. And I will bet it isn't even brought up during uh, the political campaign by anyone but the Republicans that this uh, uh, Biden family has a very strange history. Yeah. Well, one thing, Bill, that I've always given politicians the benefit of the doubt, particularly presidents or vice presidents, is when they take photos with people. Uh, like yes. a lot of times, you know, I remember Clinton had a controversy because he took a photo one time with his Chinese man who ended up being a problem. But, you know, look, these, these presidents take a lot of photos, and I give them the benefit of the doubt that they didn't necessarily know everything about the person they took a photo with. I give them the benefit of the doubt. But a phone call is a little bit different because yes. at that level, at that level, when you're the vice president, nobody gets to talk to you before they go through a secretary, more than likely a chief of staff. So the chief of, somebody has to call the chief of staff and say, we want the vice president to call this number or we want to talk to him. Uh, that's, you know, that's pretty difficult to get through to these people. So in this yes. case, I get the feeling that, that the call was actually originated by, by uh, Biden himself, maybe calling from a personal iPhone or a phone or his own phone where he made the call himself rather than going through the traditional, you know, the president is on the line, can you please hold type of thing. I, I, I just think that this is so careless on the part of, of, of Joe Biden himself, whether it's legal or illegal, I guess we can argue that, but careless, I think it is, Bill. Because you don't know who these business people are either. That's right. That's right. Well, people have asked the question as to why Joe Biden, who's been on the public payroll since 1970, has one of the biggest mansions in Delaware. Where did the money come from? Oh, well, that's a private matter. You know, we don't talk yeah. about it. But you just mentioned the, the, the subject of pictures. That was a very famous case in the early 1950s involving a senator from Maryland named Miller Tidings who took a, a picture, uh, or maybe the picture was doctored, placing him next to a, the leader of the Communist Party. And uh, Joe McCarthy got a hold of the picture and said, these are the people he associates with. And that is one of the sources of the term in politics, guilt by association, that your opponent tries to, based on a picture that was very innocent, tries to associate you with a nefarious figure. Uh, so we yes, it, it, and and that is something that all politicians uh, are uh, are are concerned about because they do have many pictures taken each day with people who they don't even know. You know, a senator is at his office in Washington, or a congressman, and a, and a local group comes in from the his his state. And they say they want a picture with the senator. Well, of course, I'll take a picture with the uh, Association of Pharmacists from the state of uh, Wyoming. Of course I will. And he takes the picture, uh, p perfectly innocent, proper picture. And a year later, one of the guys in the picture gets arrested on a sex charge. 
and the, your opponent gets gets that picture and says, that's the kind of person Senator Jones is associated with. And that's called guilt by association. And the, Senator Jones was completely innocent. So those things do happen. But this, as you point out, is so willful. It's so willful, so obviously done without any caution at all. And I suspect there will be more where this comes from. I agree. No, I agree. I, th- I think it's ridiculous 20 times. One time, yes. But you do it one time, and the next thing you, th- you tell Hunter Biden is, don't you ever do this again, because <laughs> I'm the vice president of the United States. I- I'm your father, but I'm also the vice president of the United <laughs> States, and I cannot be having these conversations with your business uh, uh, associates uh, or whatever. Bill, let's go to a couple of uh, other topics uh, that have not uh, having nothing to do with indictment or Hunter Biden. It's amazing how they consume so much time, these topics. But the topic of impeachment, I, I don't want to go too long on this, but I think we may have reached the point where the country has impeachment fatigue. I certainly do. And oh, yes. I, I wish that we, we could just have a truce between the two parties where we say we're not going to impeach anybody here for the next 100 years. Uh, we're just not going to go to this corner again because I don't – I don't know anything good that came out of the Trump impeachments. And frankly, I don't know what's going to come out of the impeachment of, of Hunter Biden or Joe Biden either. It's just going to divide the country more. And we got some serious problems like the ones you've been covering, Iran, uh, Democrats and the black vote, the streets of New York. Uh, I mean, you got some serious problems in the country and they're not being addressed because we're obsessed with these issues, Bill. That's absolutely right. And what is so bad is the escalating rhetoric to the point where the the rhetoric becomes so vicious you can't even deal with those people afterward i mean they they all seem to hate each other uh we we look we partisan politics is 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 the stuff of washington but it is usually conducted in a way that well you attack me i'll attack you on the issues we'll disagree and then we have to sit down and work together for the country but now it seems that there really is this division, not only in politics, but in the country generally, where the country is dividing up into enclaves, where people ask about the the presidential vote in, a, in, a, in an area they're thinking of moving to. I've heard it many times. They want to know what the what the area is like politically. And I think that is extremely dangerous. It really is extremely dangerous. But it comes from the, the vicious mouths of vicious people. And they will say anything. And, and one of the th- worst things we have today is a kind of a new McCarthyism where people for absolutely no good reason are called racists or misogynists. Um, uh, you know, it's no different than during the McCarthy era when uh, innocent people were called communists or com-sim or, or fellow travelers. It is the same thing. Destroying somebody's reputation. You criticize, disagree, but don't destroy someone's reputation. Yeah, I agree, completely agree. And I think it's gotten to that point now where it's becoming very, very difficult to have a conversation with people because, you know, they uh, they want to destroy. They, they, You know, they're not just interested in having a, a disagreement. They just want to call you a racist if they, if they disagree yes. with you. Uh, you mentioned in your latest post about the Democrats and the black vote, I've heard that in, in other places that the Democrats are fearing the black vote. I know they, they, they don't hold the Hispanic vote like they once did either. Uh, but the black vote is interesting because blacks, for the most part, black Americans, for the most part, live in communities managed by the Democrat Party. Yes, that's And I don't true. see, for example, how any black American living in Chicago can be content with the government that they have built. Well, that's the point, and I think we're beginning to see that. Uh, I think uh, you made a reference in one of our conversations to a letter sent by the NAACP of Oakland, California, protesting conditions uh, for for African-Americans in Oakland, California, which is run by Democrats. And that's very unusual for uh, a black organization to do. And that is reflected in statistics that show that especially – Young black men are beginning to drift away from the Democratic Party. The question is, why shouldn't they? Why shouldn't they? What has the Democratic Party actually done for African-Americans except 
for African-American leaders. If you're a leader and you have a seat in Congress, they do something for you and the leader benefits. But for the average African-American, look at the condition of schools and African-American districts. Look at the crime situation. You'd think if this is an important uh, constituency that the Democratic Party would be right on the crime situation, demanding increased protection for the residents. Instead, they're endorsing defunding the police. It's really spitting in the face of a very important constituency because they think they have them. They think they're in the pocket. Well, and that's exactly, I mean, uh, you hate to say it, but that that is what has happened. I mean, in the sense that they get 90% of the black vote in Chicago. So it doesn't really, I mean, you know, it it, it doesn't matter how how what your, I mean, it doesn't matter how good your product is, the consumer is going to buy it. And and that you know takes away any incentive to make yourself better. I I was listening to uh, to a Republican the other day saying that that the Republicans are going to have to get into these communities and really fight for these districts. They may not win them, but at least create the conversation because in some districts they may just get enough votes to win. I know there's great disenchantment uh, in the black community, but one I was listening to another commentator saying that. One of the problems that the Democrats are having is with black men, black young men, yes, who are right. not thrilled with uh, the cultural wars. I mean, they're sitting there saying, you know, uh, all this stuff about transgenders and stuff like that, it doesn't seem to register in the African-American community, though. There's a great deal of conservatism in the African-American community uh, because it's a church community. Uh, the, the church is very important to black Americans, uh, and uh, and the church in particular has certain views that are at variance with the views of the National Democratic Party. And yes, it's, it's, it is causing trouble. I think also you have a, a situation, which you also have in the various Hispanic communities, of basic generational change. That as the generations change, young people do not necessarily vote the way their parents did. Uh, you see this especially in immigrant groups. The second generation of immigrants uh, is not the same as the first generation of immigrants. They have been integrated into the society. They have new needs, new wants, and they kind of go off the reservation to coin a phrase, which I probably shouldn't use. Yeah. Well, it, it is uh, it is a phrase I think people understand what you mean by. It. So yes, I, yeah. I, you know, it's a phrase that, phrase that people know, but. But, I mean, look at New York City. Look at the streets of New York. How can anybody be happy with what is happening in New York? If you're an African-American and you live in New York City and you're seeing what is happening to your streets, to your communities, the impact that it's having on, on businesses, I mean, how can you be happy with leadership like that? I see, for example, in other communities that Muslim Americans are very upset with what's happening in schools. That's oh, another yes. In other communities, so I, I think these cultural issues are are hurting. Uh, let's touch on this one real quickly before we run out of time, Bill. You posted about Iran, and and you know I, I agree with you. We're, we're spending too much time on sort of destroying each other here in the country, and we forget about Iran and China, Bill. Oh, absolutely. Well, well, the, there is a relationship growing there. China is moving into the Middle East. And they are moving in because the United States is moving out. And what is remarkable is that we we don't seem terribly concerned. I think that's because the foreign policy of the United States right now is being run by the Obama group. The people who are in charge of foreign policy for this administration come from the Obama administration. And let's face it, uh, Barack Obama didn't... didn't do very much for this country's position around the world when he was president. He didn't really seem to care that much because I think, very frankly, he doesn't like his country very much. But uh, the issues are coming up again. <laughs> there was an, excuse me, another uh, uh, story that I ran, which I thought was very important, and that is that the, there is a great concern now in um, uh, 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 people in the Middle East and uh, with Israel in particular about the Syrian chemical industry. Syria has always had a chemical industry, and apparently uh, it is being taken over by uh, elements that could use that industry to make chemical weapons. 
and it is a source of great concern to military observers. We have troops in the Middle East, and we have ships that go into the Middle East and planes. Uh, and uh, should uh, the Syrian regime or, or, or radicals uh, within the Middle East get access to Syrian chemical weapons, it could be an extremely serious situation. That's right. It, it's interesting that you bring up uh, chemical weapons because it was exactly 33 years ago today that Saddam Hussein went into Kuwait. And, yes. I, I, you know, it's amazing how these issues never go away, it seems like. You know? That's right. Uh, That's right. We're always, talking about, uh, we're always talking about the Middle East. Well, Bill, uh, I'll close by saying that I hope that the two parties uh, sit down one of these days and say we're not going to impeach each other. For the next uh, for the next hundred years, because I think all this impeachment, um, I don't know. I talk to people all the time, and people are a lot more worried about the price of gasoline than they are, honestly, the, the accusations against Trump. You know, we I just, think they I are. Just paid, I just paid, and you're going to laugh when I say this because I know it's more expensive in New York, but I just paid three dollars and forty nine cents a gallon, Bill. Three forty. <laughs> that's what. That's about what it is. That's some pretty, stations here. Yeah. Okay. So we're catching yeah, up with New York, I guess. Yes, but not and, the good and, way. No, and and uh, but the the prices in New York are rising, and one of the reasons they're rising is that yes, the price of oil varies, but New York has very very high taxes on gasoline, which which are built into the system. So when the prices rise, they rise from an already high point. And yes, and you're exactly right. People must have their fuel to run their their cars, and that's one of the first things they see every day. Uh, and they are more worried about that than they are about uh, which politician is getting accused of something. That's right. No, I think so. I think so. I see it all the time in, in talking to people. Well, Bill, have a great week. Uh, it's always a great honor to chat with you, and we'll pick it up again next week. Well, I look forward to it, Sylvia. Thank you so much. Our good friend, uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Have a great day, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas.